So it's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And this passage we're looking at this morning, I hope you were struck by it whenever Lisa was reading it to us. It's one of the high points of the whole Bible. It's an amazing hymn to Jesus Christ. And a lot of ink has been spilled over the last 2,000 years trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to understand just what it tells. And basically we're going to think about it being the heart of Christianity today. Now we're definitely not going to get to the bottom of it this morning. And there's so much that could be said about this bit of Colossians. But Paul's aim in writing these words is actually remarkably simple. Paul writes this hymn to Jesus Christ to remind the Colossians and to remind us that the Christian life is all about Jesus Christ. It's a very simple aim. Paul has. The heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ. It's not about a religion. It's not about a way of life supremely. It's not about a set of beliefs. Jesus Christ is the heart of what Christians believe and is at the heart of how Christians live. And so what we make of Christianity must be guided by what we make of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a pretty simple reason for Paul to write some pretty amazing words But Paul knew that he had to lift the eyes of these Colossian Christians to Jesus because he also knew they were being tempted to sideline or downgrade Jesus in their Christian lives. Now, So far in this series, we've not thought much about the reasons behind Paul writing this letter to the Colossians. But it seems clear that the Colossian church Paul's writing to had a number of major problems in their life. The central one was that they were being convinced by false teachers either within the church or outside it, that the Christian life was about a lot more than trusting in Jesus. We're going to see in the coming weeks that these false teachers have lots of ideas about how these Christians should live their lives. They wanted to impose strict rules on what they could and couldn't do or eat or touch. And Paul refers to those rules in chapter 2 of Colossians. See, for these teachers, the Christian life was all about how disciplined a life, how good a life you could bring yourself to live. And other teachers were telling the Colossians they needed to be experiencing bigger and better spiritual experiences in their Christian lives if they were going to grow. So in chapter 2, verse 18, Paul talks about those who delighted in the worship of angels and he went into great detail about the things they had seen and experienced. See, for them, the Christian life was all about what experiences you had had. And there are also hints that other teachers within this church in Colossae were thinking that every Christian should be circumcised, then they would be effective Christians. Or that every Christian should be well-versed in the latest philosophy or wisdom of the age, then they would be effective Christians. See, what all these examples of teaching had in common was they claimed to offer the key to an effective Christian life Basically, all you had to do was follow their particular brand of teaching and you would be more effective, you would be more obedient to Jesus. But the other thing they had in common was far more troubling to Paul. See, every key they suggested to effective Christian living began to sideline and downgrade Jesus in the lives of these Christians. Living a more disciplined life, enjoying greater and greater spiritual experiences, getting circumcised, learning about philosophy and wisdom. The big problem Paul had with all these things was they didn't depend on Jesus Christ. They were all based on what people can do, 
not on what Christ has done. So Paul writes this letter to remind the Colossian Christians to fix their eyes on Jesus. To remember that the heart of the Christian life is knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus. And the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is are we ever tempted, like the Colossians, to sideline or downgrade Jesus in our Christian lives? Do we ever think that the Christian life is about what we do rather than what Christ has done for us? So I'm convinced that Paul's words to the Colossians are words that we need to hear today. Like the Colossians, we are all too ready to start drifting away from Christ in our Christian lives. Perhaps out of a, of a good desire to be more effective Christians, we run after a new technique or a new discipline or a new book that promises to change our lives. Perhaps we fear that trusting Jesus just sounds too simple a guide to Christian living. We fear that we're missing out on bigger and better things. That focusing on Jesus alone is fine when you're a young Christian or when maybe you're a child, but there must be more to it as you grow older. See, if we're guilty of falling into attitudes like that, then what does Paul's teaching on Christ here have to say to us? Why is the Christian life all about trusting Jesus Christ? And first of all in this passage, verses 15 to 17, Paul tells us why. He says, because Christ is the Lord of creation. Verses 15 to 17. And as the Lord of creation, Christ makes God known. I'll just read verse 15 here. He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Why can't we see God? That's the question I hear all the time from youth groups. It's a question basically all of us can ask sometimes. If we ever begin to think about God, wondering whether or not he exists, you basically want to know, well, why can't I see him? But Jesus' answer to that question is basically, you want to know what God is like? Then look at me, Jesus says. As he said to his disciples in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. The writer of the Hebrews puts it like this, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's Hebrews 1 verse 3. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So thinking back to last week and Paul's prayer for the Colossians, how do we grow in our knowledge of God's will? How do we grow in our knowledge of God? The answer is we look at Christ. Paul makes this clear in the second letter to the Corinthians. and 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. It's a lot Paul's saying there, but one of the major things is we see God's glory in the face of Christ. And that is an amazing truth. See, in the Old Testament, no one could see God's face and live. We were too sinful and God was too holy for that. But now, we can look at Christ 
We can look at the mediator between God and humanity and we can gain life. We won't die, we'll gain life. And that is what makes Christ so special. See, sometimes in my experience, the friends of mine, and I think I've fallen into this myself sometimes, we can actually begin to fear God the Father. We read the Old Testament, we hear about God's holiness, his power, his anger, and we can actually fear to approach a God like that. At the same time, Jesus can seem a lot more approachable. He's so gracious, he's so forgiving. But any of us are deeply attracted to what we hear about Jesus in the Gospels, the way he stands up to hypocrites, the way he cares for the marginalised, the way he treats women with dignity and respect. Well, Paul tells us here, Christ is the Son of God. He makes the invisible God visible and the things we are attracted to in Jesus are the attributes of God the Father as well. God the Father hates hypocrites. God the Father cares for the marginalised. God the Father has given women great dignity. He created them. And we know this because we've seen Jesus. Because of Jesus, we know the Father. And it's the Father's will that we know him through his Son. So Christ makes God known. And of course, the Bible also tells us that we can see a lot of God's character in the natural world around us, in the world that God has created. As one of the psalmist sings, um, the heavens declare the glory of God. But Paul tells us here that Christ is involved in that revelation of God as well, because Christ was present at the creation of the world, and the whole of creation is under his authority. That's verses 15 to 17. Christ created all things. See, Paul gives Christ a title in verse 15. He says, He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, at first glance, that might look a bit like saying that Christ was created like us. A lot of people have taken it to mean that over the years. Christ was created like us, only he happened to be created first. And that's what, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. But Paul means something different here. The title, the firstborn, that Paul uses, is used in the biblical sense of meaning the ruler or the king. For example, Psalm 89, verse 27, a psalm that looks ahead to the Messiah, has God declaring, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of all the kings of the earth. So Paul's using the title, the firstborn, here to say that Christ is the ruler, Christ is the king over all creation. And why is he the ruler of all creation? Because verse 16 tells us, he has made all things. Everything we can see around us, we can see trees, grass, the sun, clouds, dogs, squirrels, cats, anything. Everything was made by Christ and for Christ. See, amazingly, Paul tells us, when we look back at Genesis 1 in our Bibles, we look back and read about God creating the world, Christ, was present with God then. And that somehow, God is creating all things through his Son, Jesus. See, Jesus Christ wasn't just a good man who was born and lived and died 2,000 years ago. Paul is telling the Colossians and us, Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. And he has made all things that we see around us. 
And not just the things we can see. Paul goes even further than that. Even the unseen spiritual realm was created by Christ. Just read verse 16 again. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. See, the Bible is clear throughout. There is an unseen spiritual world and there are unseen spiritual forces at work in our world. There are those who are under God's authority, the Bible calls angels, and there are those who reject God's authority, the devil and his followers. See, the Colossians accepted this, but they had begun to think of Christ as just another of these spiritual beings. Perhaps a particularly important one, but just the same as an angel or a demon nonetheless. And Paul is determined to put them right. Christ is not equal to angels and demons because he created all those spiritual beings. Christ is the ruler of all creation, both the seen and the unseen. He's not just one spiritual ruler among many. He's the creator of all and he's the ruler of all. Again, when we look at these verses, Paul is claiming some amazing titles for Jesus. But this passage in Colossians is actually backed up by all the gospel accounts of Jesus' life on earth. In relation to the visible physical world, Jesus performed amazing miracles that demonstrated his authority over the world he had created. And in fact, you could say the description of Jesus here in Colossians helps us make sense of his ability to perform those miracles during his life on earth. For example, the disciples are amazed and terrified when Jesus calms a ferocious storm just by speaking. But when we realise that the same Jesus created the weather, the same Jesus created the lake on which they were travelling, then it makes sense that his words could do that. Jesus was able to multiply five loaves and two fishes so they could feed over 5,000 people. That was another astonishing miracle he performed. But again, we realise that Jesus is the creator of the wheat that made the bread. He created the fish that had been caught. Then again, it helps us to see just how he was able to feed so many people. So again, Jesus had authority over the physical world because he created it. And what about the invisible spiritual worlds that Paul describes in verse 16. See, Jesus clearly had authority over that as well. I always find it encouraging to remember during Halloween, and which has happened last week, when people dress up as devils and witches, and sometimes it can seem that people are celebrating dark spiritual forces, that as a Christian you can just think, well, Jesus was in control of all of that. Every time Jesus encountered a demon or an evil spirit, he was instantly able to overcome it. There was no contest ever. Jesus had complete authority over the evil spirits. So they could never harm the people who came to him. So the Gospels back up what Paul is saying here. Jesus' authority on earth demonstrated that he had created all things and that he now ruled over all things. Verses 16 to 17. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And these are words that we need to take on board in our lives because it changes the way we look at every aspect of our lives. All things were created by Christ and for Christ. Not just some, but all things. Not just the Christian things, not just the churchy things we might do. All things were created by Christ and for him. And again, I think these words are a real refreshing antidote to the way we think about our lives today. So many of us have a strong division in our thinking between spiritual and physical, between what we see as sacred and what we see as secular. We can begin to think that all Jesus is interested in is how we manage our spiritual lives. Are we going to church? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we praying? Are we telling others about Jesus? Again, all those are strict commands Jesus gives. He longs for us to be doing these things. But what about the rest of our lives? What about our working lives? Does it matter to Christ if we snap at colleagues at work? If we gossip about our co-workers? If we harbour anger or resentment towards our boss? Is Christ the Lord over our working lives? Yes, says Paul, and we need to worship him there also. What about our families? If you're trying to read your Bible every day, surely it doesn't matter that the washing up you told your wife you do is still sitting in the kitchen unwashed. It's an autobiographical touch there. Does it matter that we don't worship God in that area? Does it matter that we never spend time with our children without the TV on? that we struggle to listen to them, we want to tell us about their days, because we're just too tired after work. Does it matter that you get annoyed with your parents? That you just don't want to listen to them sometimes? That you just feel like they get in the way sometimes? Is Christ the Lord of our families? Yes, says Paul. And we need to acknowledge that in our lives. Our jobs, our families, our marriages, our friendships, our studies. Christ is Lord over all these things. And these things were created for Christ as well. They were created so that Christ could receive glory when his people serve him. By being an honest and compassionate boss or co-worker. By being a parent who listens to their children and makes time for them. By being a friend who really tries to help in a situation, not just ignore it, or make it worse. See, Christ is Lord over all things. As one writer once put it, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, mine. There's not a bit of our lives where Christ does not say, that's mine. I am the Lord of that. And we need to worship Christ in all these things. So Paul makes it clear to the Colossians, they cannot sideline or dismiss Christ in their lives because Christ is the Lord of creation. And then in verses 18 to 20, Paul begins to narrow his focus. Christ is Lord of creation, but then in a more particular way, Christ is Lord of the church. Just read verse 18 there. And he is the head of the body, the church. See, the church, Christians, have a crucial part to play in Christ's purposes 
for his creation. See, Christ, again, we've already seen, he's Lord over creation. But the Bible also tells us that creation is fallen, it's broken, and it's cursed by the effects of our sin, of our rejection of God. Christ's rule over the created world is still complete, but he permits the world we live in to suffer the effects of human sin in many ways. We see around us all the time in earthquakes, in wars, in famine. But what Paul's saying here is that God, through Christ, is beginning to reverse the effects of the fall. He's beginning to restore his creation, to restore the relationships broken by sin. And we can see the beginning of God's restoration work in the life of Christ's body, in the life of the church, of Christians. Again, relationships between different people groups and very different individuals are restored as those people come to faith in Christ and begin to meet together. Again, Modern Road, I think, is a great example of this. We're a diverse family, and the one unifying thing that holds us all together is our faith in Christ, is Christ's redeeming work for us. And Paul lists other great blessings we can see at work in the lives of Christians here. Verse 18, the latter part of it. He says, Christ is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This is an amazing blessing for Christians. Christ has defeated death. Christ has gone through death and come out the other side. And because he's the firstborn from among the dead, the first to enjoy resurrection life in a resurrection body, then Christians can have confidence that we too will enjoy resurrection life, that Christ can bring us through death and into new eternal life with him. And I was thinking about this this week. Death is a terrifying thing and it is a terrible thing. Perhaps it is the most painful reminder to us of just the effects of human sin in the world around us. Enough friends of mine have suffered the loss of a loved one, a, a partner or a parent or a child, to know just the effects that death has on people's lives. And the Bible instantly talks about the fear of death having just as much power over us as death itself. But I can see what Paul is saying here. Christ has defeated death. Christ has defeated the power of death. And so Christ frees his people from the fear of death. See, Christians still have to endure separation and loss when a loved one dies. But if that loved one was following Christ, then we can know that we will see them again when we see Christ face to face. See, Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. And because of his resurrection, every Christian can look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, to a new creation free from sin and decay and pain, even to new resurrection bodies like Christ's. See, Paul's saying here, the promise of eternal life is secure And Christ has secured it. And how has Christ secured that? Well, that's what Paul finishes this section on. Christ secured eternal life for us by reconciling us to God on the cross. Just read verses 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Paul tells us here that it was at the cross, at the point where Christ looked the weakest, at the point where Paul's description of him here as the Lord of all would have looked just like a sick joke. Paul says that the cross, that Christ's full glory can be seen. So we need to remember that the man that Paul's writing about here was crucified as a common criminal less than 30 years before he writes these words to the Colossians. He died on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And Paul is making the staggering claim that this crucified criminal is the creator and Lord of all things. And that in dying on the cross, Jesus was fulfilling God's plan to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See, at the cross, God reconciled all things to himself so that his promise that creation itself will be restored and remade of the new heaven and the new earth is guaranteed. God has guaranteed that promise through Jesus' death at the cross. Again, as Lisa pointed out earlier on, there is so much beauty in this world, so much beauty in this fallen creation, that actually we can only begin to imagine what the new creation is like, just how beautiful it will be, just how magnificent and breathtaking it will be. And we can know that God will bring that new creation about thanks to what Jesus has done on the cross. And then at the cross, God reconciled us to himself. Paul isn't just praising Christ here for the new creation and the promise of the new creation. He's praising Christ for the reconciliation he brought about between God and us. And he writes words to the Colossians that apply to every Christian today. In verse 21, if you want to look at that with me. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Paul's saying, we were cut off from God. There's no way around that. We just could not pretend that we knew God. We couldn't pretend that we were living for God. And we demonstrated that we were cut off from God Paul says, in our thinking. He says, we were enemies in our minds. I don't know if you can think back to maybe before you were a Christian, the way you used to think about God. See, in our thinking, we will naturally always think the worst of God. We'll always believe ourselves to be in the right and God to be in the wrong. See, we thought and planned and dreamed our whole lives as if God wasn't real, as if God didn't exist. We were enemies in our minds. And we also demonstrated that we were cut off from God in the way we lived, what Paul calls our evil behaviour, which sounds like a very harsh description, actually. Again, I think a lot of us maybe think, well, surely our behaviour without Christ wasn't evil, it was just misguided, just maybe a bit selfish, maybe a bit unloving. I mean, surely evil behaviour is just what dictators and war criminals and multinationals get up to. But no, Paul is saying here that any behaviour that ignores God and places ourselves in God's place is evil. Whether that's using other people to make us feel better about ourselves or believing in our pride that we can live good enough lives for God 
without Jesus. We can do things our own way. Paul says that is evil behaviour for people before they meet Christ. See, every one of us was alienated from God. We couldn't reconcile ourselves to God because God was the wronged party in the relationship. And God was also the judge so that only he could decide whether or not reconciliation between us and him was even possible. Again, this is why Paul is praising Christ here. Because the great news of the gospel is that God didn't just decide it was possible for us to be reconciled to him. He actually brought that reconciliation about through the death of his son, Jesus. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. See, Paul makes it clear here. Christ really was a man. He really had a physical body. And that physical body really did go through death to present us holy in God's sight. See, Christ's death on the cross wasn't just a spiritual thing. It was real. It was full of pain. He suffered in his flesh and in his blood, as well as in his spirit. And he did that so that every Christian is now declared holy in God's sight. Every Christian is now reconciled to God. Every Christian is now without blemish and free from accusation. As we come to the end of this passage, can we see now why the heart of Christianity, Paul says, is this person, Jesus Christ. The man Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived in Galilee, who died outside the walls of Jerusalem, was actually the Christ. He was God's King on earth, the Creator of all and the Lord of all. And it's through his death on the cross that the Colossians were reconciled to God. And they were reconciled to live for Christ until he returned and brought them into the new heaven and the new earth. And the same is true for every Christian here this morning. We are reconciled to God through the physical, historical death of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And we're called to live our whole lives at home, at work, at church, under His Lordship, to bring Him glory until He returns. See, Christianity without Christ just doesn't make sense, Paul is saying. Without Christ, we have no hope, no relationship with God, no life. And so Paul's closing challenge to the Colossians is a challenge to us as well. It's the first part of verse 23. He says, You have all these benefits, holy in God's sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. See what Paul's saying here. After hearing all that Christ has done for us, after hearing that the Lord and Creator of all humbled Himself and died a horrible death on a cross for us so that we could know God, we would be fools if we walked away from Him. If we thought to ourselves, I can live the Christian life on my own, thanks. I don't need to keep coming to Jesus every day of my life. Paul is saying we need Jesus. 
It's our faith in him that reconciles us to God. So that to walk away from that faith, or to let that faith slide, is to walk away from God. The Colossians were being tempted to do that. They were being tempted to sideline Jesus, to chase after other things, other rules for living, other spiritual disciplines and experiences. And Paul warns them here of the foolishness of ever walking away from what Jesus has done. But he also reassures them, and he reassures us, that they can have great assurance that they enjoy all the benefits of what Christ has done by continuing in their faith. Paul's saying we can know that we're reconciled to God. We can know that we are holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, by continuing to trust in Christ. We may sometimes feel that our faith is shaky. We may sometimes feel weak and unsure, but we can, we can keep trusting in Christ. Christ doesn't know how bad I am. Christ doesn't know how fickle I can be. You see, Paul calls our faith in Christ here in verse 23 established and firm. Why does he do that? Because of our dependability? No. Because of Christ's dependability. Because Christ has done everything necessary to save us, to forgive us, and to keep us until he returns. See, actually, Paul is reassuring these Colossians that they can endure. Paul is lifting their eyes to Christ, and he's lifting our eyes to Christ this morning as the powerful, gracious Saviour who can be trusted. Don't trust in anything else, Paul is saying. Don't run after other things. Trust in Christ. Let's put our trust in him today and live for him today because he has died for us. He is able to keep us from falling and he is completely trustworthy and completely faithful and completely glorious. So let's worship him in our lives.